Today, three classes of unbelief. We come to that chapter that we recognize as the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. There are three classes of unbelief in this chapter, and let me cite them for you so you'll know my direction. The first is the malicious unbelief of the Jews. The second is the selfish unbelief of Pilate. And the third is the careless unbelief of the soldiers. Now, I want you to pick up those three words now. Malicious, selfish, careless. That constitutes our outline today. And then, in conclusion, I want to move to some practical steps where you can utilize faith over against unbelief in an ongoing way as we come here week by week to worship God. I believe it will be very helpful to you. Now, the three classes of people we're talking about surrounded the cross, but they represent all classes of unbelief throughout history. All three were there on that day. All three are present today. You remember in Matthew 13, 58, when Jesus went back to his hometown of Nazareth, it says that he could not there do many mighty works because of their what? Their unbelief. So you know what unbelief does. It binds the hands of God. If you can picture that with me today, it might help you. See the hands of God wrapped, tied as it were with a rope. That's what unbelief does. It ties God's hands, but faith releases, cuts those ropes so that we're free to use our hands. God is free to use his hands. So if you form that picture, it will be helpful. He could not do mighty works because of their unbelief. And he cannot do here mighty works if there is unbelief. He can't anywhere if there is unbelief. Verses 18 through 21 bring us the first segment of unbelief, the malicious unbelief of the Jews. Have you found that spot in your Bible? They crucified him and two others with him, one on either side, Jesus in the center, and Pilate wrote the inscription, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews, but the Jews didn't want that title. They didn't want that title. They were displeased about the inscription that Pilate had put on the cross. Why is that? Well, it's evident that they wanted no part with the cross. They wanted no association with a so-called criminal that was dying on that cross that day. And so they made a fuss about it. The reason that the base of this whole story is unbelief. The passerby might get the impression that the Jews accepted Jesus as their king, and they wanted no such impression to be left. They hated Jesus with a bitter hatred. They had built up an organization that brought them comfort and had brought them luxury. Rome had granted a good deal of power to the Sanhedrin over the Jews. They liked it that way. They were afraid of the effect that Jesus would have on the people. They did not want to lose this power, so they opposed this inscription, King of the Jews. Interesting that just a few years later, they lost that power anyway 
For in A.D. 70, the Romans under Titus destroyed Jerusalem and destroyed the temple, and they lost everything that they had fought to hold on to. That which caused them to oppose this insignia, they lost in that 70 A.D. invasion of Titus, and they have never really been back to the same since 70 A.D. Now, where is this kind of unbelief today? How do we apply this to our lives today? Well, I, I can find perhaps three areas where I think this would be evidenced. One would be in the zeal of communism or atheism to destroy the church. We feel that in the world today. Let me pause just a minute because I see a problem. Uh, those of you up in the sound light room, those lights under the balcony keep flickering. Uh, we've had a problem with them, and we thought we had them fixed, but I think they're going to cause people a problem. I just cut them off. Now, one row particularly just keeps uh, flickering, and it bothers me, so it's got to bother you if you're sitting right underneath it there. So that didn't cost any extra. I just throw that in. You can just turn them out. That, that'll be all right for the moment. The zeal of communism and the zeal of atheism against the church of Jesus Christ. It's like the zeal of those Jews to hang on to their power, their authority. The same kind of unbelief and the same kind of hatred. You see, what we find in a story like this is that Jesus and religion, per se, clash. They come against one another. They don't mix. The cross teaches the value of a human soul. While the others are living only for a moment, only for time, only for an instant, and Jesus smacks against that because he talks about eternity and he talks about heaven. God brings everything under judgment. Ezekiel 38, verse 3. Ezekiel 39, verse 1. God says, I am against thee. And they don't want to face up to that. And that was the problem then and it's the problem today. Communism is a religion, atheism is a religion, and Jesus Christ runs headlong into religion, per se. What Jesus brought was experience. What Jesus brought was relationship. What Jesus brought was an avenue to God. And the Jews hated that, and they despised that, and they wanted nothing to do with that, and they didn't want a cross. They wanted a king. And so we find the same thing today. I also sense this kind of unbelief in certain religious organizations that level persecution against those that should be their brothers and sisters in Christ. So today we see it against particularly the evangelical church through parts of the world. Prophecies of revelation will be fulfilled in this sense. That the people who love God come under fire. The people that make Jesus Lord come under the microscope of others who claim to be religious, who claim 
to have a relationship with God, but have only a head knowledge of God and not a heart experience. We're seeing that in many parts of the world. This unbelief may be found in the zeal of many cults who offer a way to wealth, health, and happiness without any cross. They despise the blood of Jesus. Same kind of unbelief. I've mentioned to you about my brother in Paraguay. He had to spend time in an open jail, a bamboo jail in the midst of a city put there by religious people as a missionary of Jesus Christ, spat upon, made fun of by the passing inhabitants. And that could be repeated many times over, friends, throughout the world where persecution comes because of the unbelief of religious organizations. I think of a third possible uh, tie into today's world, and that's the modernists or the humanists who deny the truth of the Bible and the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. They will see the Lamb of God on his throne bearing the marks of death and suffering someday but they're not going to believe it today. Their works of darkness are going to be brought into the light, but they won't accept that today. They want nothing to do with a Savior who comes to them through a cross and says, I want your life. I want your faith. I want you to give your heart to me. They want nothing to do with that, and so unbelief, ties the hands of God. God is all-powerful, but God will not work against the will of an individual. God has to work through the will of each of us. And if we say, God, you can't, or God, you're not, or God, you won't, then God is limited in what he can do. He can only work when we say, Yes, Lord, I believe, Lord. Help thou mine unbelief. That's the only way God can work. And so throughout the world today, people are suffering because of the unbelief of religious people, modernists, humanists, organizations that will not accept the truth of the Word of God as it's presented here before us and will not embrace the cross of Jesus Christ and claim him as Lord. First type of unbelief. The second type is the selfish unbelief of Pilate. Verses nine, uh, verse 22 of chapter 19. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. He refused to change the inscription. Why? Stubbornness. So now we see another ingredient here in the story, the ingredient of stubbornness. Is it present today? It's present right now as I'm preaching. He knew the Jews were wrong in their accusation. He knew that Jesus was not making any threat to Caesar. He, in essence, confessed that in this whole scenario. But he didn't want to lose his position as procurator of Judea. He didn't want to bring his authority under question, so a very proud, selfish unbelief put his honor above the truth of Jesus Christ. 
Pilate lost his soul, lost his position, lost everything through his stubbornness. He said, I find no fault in this man. When he examined Christ, he could not find sin or wrong in him, and yet he would not acknowledge him as the Savior and Lord. Again, interesting that eight years after Pilate put this inscription on the cross, he lost the position he so jealously guarded. It is said that he was then banished and finally committed suicide. He could not get over the events of chapter 19 of John. They drove him to his death. Stubborn pride. The inscription was truer than Pilate knew, or at least would admit, Jesus is the King of the Jews. Don't let stubbornness rob you of the life that he has brought. Now, when we look at Zechariah, the next to the last book in the Old Testament, we find how accurate Pilate was when he put that inscription there that day. Chapter 12 of Zechariah, verse number 10, I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me whom they have pierced. They will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. Now, there are a lot of folk who are teaching today, and I've looked at some of their material, that Israel is totally outside now forever of the grace of God. Israel has written its doom, and the only Israel that you will find today is the church, which is the Israel of God. I want you to know that's false teaching. God has not forgotten Israel. Just read that verse again. I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication, and they will look on me whom they have pierced, and they will look with a sense of sorrow and anguish because they nailed him to the cross. Is there a day when men face up with reality? Absolutely. Whether it be the Jews, whether it be Pilate, we all stand before the judgment bar of God to give an account of ourselves, and unbelief will cast us into outer darkness, whereas faith will bring us into all the glorious goodness of God. Where are you today? Does stubbornness keep you from admitting that this has to be true? How would the church have ever survived? How would this book have ever survived if this message were not the truth? Don't let stubbornness steal from you the most precious gift that you could ever receive, the grace and mercy of God. The third kind of unbelief is in verses 23 and 24, the careless unbelief of the soldiers. While he was dying above them and his blood was dripping on the ground beside them, these soldiers were only concerned about his garment and gambling over it. The careless unbelief of the soldiers. Do we see that attitude today? Everywhere. 
careless indifference. All they cared about was getting what was coming to them, and according to the custom of the Jews, they had the right to the garment. I wonder how Jesus felt as he looked down from his place, saw, saw them gambling over his, his garment. I wonder what he felt like in that moment as these men concerned themselves with something fleeting and passing. To the soldiers, he was just another man on a cross. He was just another criminal dying. They could not look upon him because they were so concerned about what was there on the ground before them. There are people who hear my voice either in this sanctuary or by radio this morning who need to come face to face with the person hanging on the cross. Lift up your eyes from the garment on the ground. Lift up your eyes from the gambling spirit of our time. Look on him whom you have pierced. And in looking, live. Don't be careless about the claims of Jesus Christ. Don't be careless about this word that comes from John chapter 19. Indifference will lead you to an eternity without hope and without God. But faith will lead you into His holy and dynamic presence. In spite of their unbelief, they fulfilled Scripture. Psalm 22 speaks of the messianic sufferings, the parting of the raiment among the soldiers. You see, in all of this, God's enemies become his unwitting agents. And you may stand against him now, but you become his unwitting agent somewhere down the road. God has so directed it to be that way. You cannot escape. You cannot get away. We ought to have learned that by now. The travesty of Watergate is a good example of that very thing. When the tapes of Watergate were released, people who were saying it could never be, this is not so, were shocked. I was listening to someone the other day who was referring back to that incident when the tapes of the president were released and how shocked they were because up to that moment they believed that it was not possible. And I think maybe I was in that crowd. Thinking back, it just didn't sound feasible that it could ever happen in America and in the highest office of the land. But yet there were those tapes. There was that voice so easily recognized. The cover-up was what? Exposed. It was all now out in the open. The writer to the Roman church, Paul, said that we will all give an account of ourselves before God. How easy it is to try to hide to try to cover it up, to try to gloss it over. But all three of these incidents in John 19 remind us that we all will stand before him. Every deed will be made known. Every word could be brought back if necessary. Every deed could be flashed on a screen. There is not one thing that will be hidden. 
What is the secret of standing before God unashamed, clothed in his righteousness? It's to get out of your unbelief and move into faith with God and not operate according to man. Jesus Christ was willing and able to bestow upon every one of them there his grace and his mercy. But they were so caught up with themselves that they could not see what was happening in front of their eyes. No wonder the Bible gives us several references to fools. Have you ever researched it? In Psalm 14, 1, a fool says in his heart, there is no God. What is that? It's just stubborn unbelief. And it's just as easy to believe as it is not to believe. Easy to say, I believe. Just try it. I believe, not hard. You can get up this morning and say, I'm a believing person, just as easy as to say, I'm a doubting person. This is going to be a horrible day. You can get up just as easy and say, this is going to be a wonderful day. This is a day the Lord has made. I'll rejoice and be glad in it. It's just a fine line between belief and unbelief, life and death, joy and unhappiness. Matthew 7, 26, those who hear the word but refuse to obey it are classified as fools. Matthew 25, those that are not ready for his return, classified as fools. Proverbs 15, 5, those who despise instruction, fools. Luke 12, 20, those who lay up treasures on earth, fools. Proverbs 14, 7, those who get angry quickly, fools. Luke 24, 25, those who will not believe God's word, fools. How do you move from that? Simple. Believe. Believe. Move into a place of faith with God, into a place of real relationship with God. He could not in Nazareth do many mighty works because of their unbelief. He cannot in Sacramento either until we believe. He can't in your life until you believe, until you change your mindset, until you move from maliciousness and stubbornness and selfishness into a place of saying, Jesus, I believe you. And you can if you will. Now, I ask you, what have you got to lose? I'll tell you what you've got to lose. Your sins, your sickness, your poverty, your pain, your worry, your anxiety. That's what you've got to lose if you believe. What have you got to, you, to lose? The agony of getting up in the morning and having to face every day. What have you got to lose? The pain of trying to face people and face the challenges of life. With Jesus Christ, there is such a dynamism. There is such an effervescence. There is such a sense of I can do all things because Christ is strengthening me. You can lose all of the other by a simple step of faith. Believe in He who hangs on that tree. Embrace His cross. And therefore, embrace his life. 
That's what you've got to lose. And I would say just by simple evaluation, it's a pretty good bargain. You have any kind of evaluation sense at all. Now, in the scriptures, there is a tremendous truth that I want to zero in on in my closing moments with you today that we need to grasp in the book of Hebrews chapter 1, the very first verse, the writer to the Hebrew believers said, God who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. How did he do that? The account we're looking at. In the first chapter of John's Gospel, verse 14, the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Remember Hebrews 1.1, He's spoken unto us by His Son. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. After the resurrection, when He gathered with His disciples in Luke 24.39, Jesus said, Handle me, touch me, and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones as ye see me have. Go ahead, reach out and touch me. I'm real. I'm here. And then in Acts, the ninth chapter, a man breaks on the scene by the name of Saul of Tarsus. He is accosted by Jesus on the road to Damascus. And he looks up and says, What wilt thou have me to do, Lord? And the Lord spoke to him, led him to the street called Straight, and spoke to a man by the name of Ananias to go and seek out Paul or Saul. And it frightened Ananias because he had heard of all the evil things that Saul had done to the church. But the Lord said, Don't be afraid. Go and lay hands on him. Wow, what a challenge. One who had brought thousands of believers into persecution and many into death. But the Holy Spirit said, go find Saul on the street called Straight and lay your hands on him. And when Ananias did, in verse number 19 of Acts the ninth chapter, immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales, and he received sight forthwith and arose and was baptized, and he was strengthened. As I was reading that, I got all excited because to me, it's the picture of what we're doing here this morning and what we do every time we come together. There are scales that come over our eyes so that we can't see. The devil makes sure of it. Blinders. Our eyes are shut. We are seeing only the things of this world and often the things that hinder us and bind us rather than the things that free us. We have no power. And so God speaks to Ananias and he says, go, lay hands on him, go touch him. Saul couldn't believe that there would be one who would have enough faith to put his hands on this man who had brought such havoc to the church. But here was a faithful brother who put hands on him, and when he did, what happened? Faith took hold, just like it can in this service. 
The scales fell off his eyes. He received the Holy Spirit. He was baptized and he was strengthened. And he went out to do the will of God. Oh, man. If those things could happen in this service today, where scales would fall off our eyes and we could see the promises of God as applicable to us, if we could be filled with the Holy Spirit, if we could be strengthened and go out to face the challenges of this world, what a dynamic influence we could be. It's a picture of the church service. James 4, 8, draw nigh to God, He will draw nigh to you. Matthew 18, 18 and 19, where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in their midst. I am there, Jesus said. Do you believe that? Can you grasp that? I am there. My wife and I on a little vacation years ago went into a different denominational church up in the Northwest. Whenever I have a chance, I will look in the newspaper and find out what church is having an early service, and I'll go to the early service somewhere and then get to the regular service somewhere else. We went to this church on that Sunday morning. Nobody said hello. We walked in, found our own seat, sat down, Hardly saw the face of the preacher. He was up quite high, and throughout his whole message, this was his posture. I saw the top of his head reading what he had there in front of him. The service ended. We got up. Didn't really rush out, but not a person said, Hello, good morning. Is there anything we can do to help you? It wasn't one touch in that whole experience. Not one touch. I said in my heart, oh God, we can't have that in our church. We've got to touch. We've got to see the scales fall off. We've got to see people filled with the power of God. We have to have people who are strengthened. How will it be? It is by faith, by coming into this place and not going through motions and routines. May I just speak to you from my heart for a moment? It is totally inappropriate at times to clap after the entroit of the choir. Totally inappropriate. You need to sense that. The expression should not be many times the clapping of hands, but hallelujah! Thank you, God! Because it's a lot easier to do this than it is... Amen! Thank you, Lord! But there has to be from the heart, not just from some kind of rote experience, some response that doesn't mean anything. You know that it can get so irreverent that it's irritating. You understand what I'm saying? We need to be sensitive to what the Holy Spirit is doing in this place. There ought to be times after someone sings a song that your hands go up in the air instead of together and glorify the Lord. Let Him touch you and the scales fall off because He's ministering in a faith way to your need. Be sensitive. Well, if you're new in Christ, just watch me. Do what I do. I'm sensitive. 
Let's not get into rote. I believe in the clapping of hands. You'll find me doing it as much as anybody when it's appropriate. But I don't want to just go through the motions. I want it to be from the heart. I want to be sensitive to God because there are people in this building this morning that have to be touched or they're going to die. Their burdens are heavy. They can't go another day unless in this meeting they receive the touch. We've got to come without stubbornness and we've got to come without selfishness and we must come without maliciousness. And let God be God in this room. I was reading the 46th Psalm this week and it, I was so moved by what the psalmist said and noticed that it was a passage about the church. God is the salvation of His church. And when I got down to verse 5, I had a little camp meeting. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. I said, that's it, Lord. That's what I want. When we get here together, God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. And interesting that it's a psalm to the church. God is in the midst of her. It's not so much that I'm here. It's not so much that you're here. It is that God is here. And if we'll just look up and embrace Him and take His cross instead of gambling over His robe, instead of fussing about the inscription... Instead of worrying about losing our power and our position and just embrace Jesus and say, Lord, wherever you lead me, I will go. Whatever you want to do with me, I will do. God in the midst of her. Faith will lift the burden. Faith will bring the answer. Faith will bring you the healing you need, the miracle you need, the salvation you're looking for. But you have to move from unbelief to faith. So we plan our services so that that can happen. The choir to introduce, well, let me even take one step further back than that. The early worship to prepare our hearts. The pastor out here before even the announced time to Lead us in worship. We ought not just to be sitting there waiting for something to happen. Let it happen right then. Enter in God in the midst. The introduction of the choir and the orchestra to worship powerful. Let there be an expression from the heart. The worship time, the prayer time, reaching and touching. The offering time, ministering to the Lord. Reaching the world through our gifts not holding back anything. The ministry of music, the ministry of the Word, all to bring us into an attitude of faith, an attitude of trust. Then to come back tonight for water baptism, for more ministry, to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit, in the prayer room for those who are seeking, to hear the pastor speak on one of the most urgent situations America has ever faced, to be in the position where God can speak to us and guide us and direct us in these complex days. God in the midst, God working, God fulfilling, God pouring out His blessing. 
Those people in John 19 were as close to a miracle as they could ever get and missed it because of unbelief. You're as close to a miracle as you'll ever be right now, and you could miss it by unbelief. Whether it's salvation, healing, a financial miracle, or whatever, you're as close right now as you'll ever get. If you come in faith, I guarantee you God's answer. I have such confidence in God. He's in the midst. He's right here with us. He reaches out. He came down to where we are and touched us. If we embrace Him, we'll have all we need. Some of you are doubting it, so I'll close with this story. The Scottish physician noted for his skill and also for his piety died. When his books were examined, it was discovered that several accounts had written across them in red ink the words, forgiven, too poor to pay. Not something for a Scottish person. His wife, who was also Scotch, but who had less piety, felt differently about the unpaid bills when she found these notations. She said these bills must be paid and proceeded to sue for the money. The judge who was over the case examined the accounts and turning to the departed physician's wife inquired, is this handwriting in red ink that of your husband? She replied in the affirmative. Then he said, there is no tribunal in the land that can obtain the money in the case of any account on which he has written, forgiven, too poor to pay. And the case was dismissed. And I read that, I thought, oh God, if people in our church could just get hold of that. In red, Jesus Christ has written, forgiven. In red, Jesus Christ has written, healed. In red, Jesus Christ has written, I am their friend. I have all power in heaven and in earth. Will we embrace it? Will we claim it? Will we saddle up to that cross and say, Jesus, I want all of you. I want to take your word to heart. And I want your victory. It's available. God is in the midst. Would you bow your head, please, in prayer throughout this building? I count on every service, Jesus' words, where two or three are gathered in my name, I'm there in their midst. I am counting in this service on Psalm 46, verse 5, God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. Will you move toward Jesus now in faith? Some of you are so close to, to victory, it's just a matter of one step. Just one step. Maybe it's salvation. You've been, been thinking about it. You've been contemplating making the move. Will you make that move today? Take Jesus. Stop being so caught up in the robe on the ground, which is emblematic of the things of this world, those things that can control us and look up to him who is there hanging for you, dying for you. You've been struggling with your health. Jesus is a healer. Miracles are available.
I want our brethren who were here earlier to pray for people to come back and stand across the front of this room just as they did earlier and with our heads bowed hear my heart there's a miracle for you I want you to come for the touch these are Ananiases they're representing our Lord they are filled with the Spirit men of God I want you to come for the touch the scales will fall off the healing will come the miracle will happen if you trust look at the Savior on the cross not at all of the other trappings come for the touch doesn't have to be long just that touch when Ananias touched Saul the scales fell off he was filled with the spirit he was strengthened now I want us to stand together <clears throat> so it's easy for people to move to the aisle and as we begin to sing only believe only believe I want you to move for the touch don't hold back. If you need the touch of forgiveness, come. If you need the touch of healing, come. If you need a financial touch, you come. God's miracles are not withheld. Come for the touch. As we sing, move toward that place just like...